So I went to create a course called Breaking the Cycle of Chronic Pain. And at that stage, I was pain-free. Aha, ready to write about this thing I had healed from. I literally put my fingers on the keyboard and I got this acute pain in my wrist, which basically felt like my wrist was broken. It was so strong. But because I just hadn't done anything really that could have hurt my wrist, I knew it was a fear-based response. So I opened a dialogue with my wrist and I said, wrist, I know you're trying to protect me. I know you're worried that people might judge you. I know this is a segue from things you don't usually talk about with your community, but we're big enough, we're strong enough to deal with this. There's nothing for you to be afraid of. Hey there, I'm Anna Holtzman, and this is From Chronic Pain to Passion. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and coach who helps passionate creatives like you learn how to heal from chronic pain and other symptoms so you can reclaim your energy and live the creative life of your dreams. In my past life, I was a disillusioned video editor working in reality TV and struggling with chronic migraine for over 10 years. But after I discovered the mind-body methods that I'll share with you on this podcast, I recovered from the chronic cycle and got back my creative spark. And I want that for you too. So let's get into it. Thank you so much for joining me today. And before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you know about an interview that I did on the Optimize Yourself podcast, hosted by my friend, Zach Arnold. He's actually doing a three-part series on chronic pain specifically related to how it affects creative professionals, and I highly recommend that you check it out. The series will consist of three experts talking about chronic pain from different perspectives. Zach interviewed a body worker and somatic movement instructor, Julie Farbach, who explains how to release emotions from the body and get your system out of fight or flight. He also spoke with a medical doctor and mindfulness teacher, Christiana Wolf, who uses mindfulness-based practices to change our relationship to pain. And in my interview with Zach, You'll hear an extended conversation about my personal journey with chronic pain from my days as a reality TV editor to how I ended up where I am today as a chronic pain therapist. You'll hear parts of my story that you probably haven't heard before, and you'll hear me coach Zach through some of his own pain story while also learning some of the tools and techniques that I use to unwind tension and stress from my body. My episode of the Optimize Yourself podcast aired on Tuesday, July 11th, and you can find it by going to optimizeyourself.me slash podcast, or by searching Optimize Yourself on your podcast app of choice. And now for today's episode. A short while back, I received a message from someone whose work I was familiar with, but we'd never spoken before, and she shared a story with me that I thought was just perfect for this podcast. It's a story about her journey from chronic pain to passion, 
and that person is Fleur Chambers. Fleur is a multi-award-winning meditation teacher, creator of the Happy Habit app, author of the book 10 Pathways, and her second book, Wholehearted Confidence, and she's also a philanthropist. Using her experience of living with chronic pain, Fleur is helping others to see that happiness isn't an imaginary place free of disappointment, regret, insecurity, or any other uncomfortable emotion. In contrast, real happiness is the ability to live wholeheartedly alongside our challenges and to learn from them. With proceeds from the Happy Habit funding charitable grassroots projects around the world, Fleur is using meditation as a tool for social change. She believes that we meditate not only to alleviate our own suffering, but also to improve the lives of others. The personal story that Fleur shared with me is all about the fears that come up and create symptoms, just as we're about to share our creative gifts with the world. And I hope that hearing her talk about how she navigates those experiences will inspire you with the courage to share your creative gifts as well. Welcome, Fleur. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you for being here with me. I'm really, really happy to be here too and very excited about this conversation. Me too. Before we dive into it, would you like to share for our listeners what you do and who you help? Sure. I'm a meditation teacher. Um, I have a meditation app called The Happy Habit. Um, And really, my audience is very, very broad. I help people of all different life stages, backgrounds, histories, experiences, goals, dreams, just to be more curious about themselves and to create some space between that busy, critical mind and the deeper, wiser dimensions. So there's no right person who enjoys uh, listening to my work. Really, it's the the piece is curiosity, I think, that, that binds them all together. And speaking of curiosity, I was just about to say, I'm really curious to know what led you to this work that you do. Yeah, and I think lots of little moments you can reflect upon. A really big moment for me was when I had three very small children and the wheels were falling off. Um, There was a lot of anxiety. My mind was always in the past, replaying conversations, wishing I'd done things differently, or I was obsessively planning for the future. And This lack of presence created a sense of heaviness in my heart and anxiety and loneliness. And it also changed the way I viewed the world. I became really fear-based. I was hearing terrible stories. I felt like a tree that just didn't have any roots. I was being knocked about by my own experiences and by the experiences of others. And one day I told my mum how I was feeling and She's a psychologist who's been very good to not offer me too much advice over my lifetime, but she said, Dal, you need to start practicing meditation so you can feel stronger for yourself and those gorgeous kids. 
And you know, sometimes when someone gives you a piece of information and it just sinks in, it was the right moment, the right piece of information at the right time. And so that was probably 12 years ago and it started my own deep connection with myself, mindfulness and meditation. And then my background was always in adult education. And so when I returned to the workforce, when the kids were at school, I thought, "Uh aha, how can I marry these two loves of adult education and meditation? And so I became a meditation teacher. Wow. Thank you for sharing that story with me. You know, it's interesting listening to your story. I just remembered something that I hadn't thought about in many years, which is that when I was about 19 years old and going through a very difficult depression period, my mother at that long ago time said to me, you need to start journaling. And I hadn't thought about that in so long. And it wasn't until many, many, many years later that I learned how to use expressive writing specifically for chronic symptom recovery but I guess the thread started way back then and I'm just smiling and nodding and having this full body tingles when you're saying that because it's like the things that are passed down from generation to generation good and bad Um, things we take on from our families, the seeds that can be planted that we don't realise actually link to something later. And I certainly think all this mind-body work enables you to connect the dots in your life much more easily because you're not caught in your mind. So I just love that you were just able to piece that together because you were present and open to this conversation and that's just awesome. Yeah, it is really interesting. And I love that you said the all that we inherit, the the good, the bad, the everything in between. It's so complex. Um you reached out to me after I think listening to a few episodes of this podcast, and you reached out to me with a story of your own that I just was like, whoa, this is so perfect for this podcast. It's really the essence of you know, the kind of stories that I wanted to tell. And so I'll preface by saying that like many passionate creatives, you have experienced, as you shared with me, symptom flare-ups that occur just as you're on the brink or on, you know, at the, the, the moment of sharing your creative work with the world. And I was wondering if you could share with our audience what that experience has been like for you and how symptoms have manifested during those scenarios for you. Sure. And I'm so pleased to be talking about this because the more I talk about it, the more I will heal and it will be normalized. And I hope the people who are listening to this are like, oh, yeah, I don't feel so alone. So after I had been exploring my own chronic pain experience and really had, I was ready to share my experience through my teaching. So I went to create a course called Breaking the Cycle of Chronic Pain. And at that stage, I was pain-free. Aha, ready to write about this thing I had healed from. I literally put my fingers on the keyboard and I got this acute pain in my wrist, which 
basically felt like my wrist was broken. It was so strong. But because I just hadn't done anything really that could have hurt my wrist, I knew it was a fear-based response. I knew it wasn't really in my muscles and ligaments. So immediately I knew that I needed to reassure this younger, frightened part of myself that it was okay. So I opened a dialogue with my wrist and I said, wrist, I know you're trying to protect me from not sharing my experience with the world. I know you're worried that people might judge you. I know this is um, a segue from things you don't usually talk about with your community, but we're big enough, we're strong enough to deal with this. There's nothing for you to be afraid of. So in that moment, it was very clear that it was my adult job to soothe that younger part of me. Sometimes it's not so clear. And so instead what I do is I open up the lines of communication. The next time it really happened was when I was writing my first book, again, about my experience of living with chronic pain and all the system, all the symptoms flared up. And I couldn't work out if I really needed to listen to these younger, feared pain parts of me or if I needed to be the grown-up. So I opened the lines of communication and each morning as I wrote, I would just start with a sense of gratitude for my body. Body, thank you for supporting me, for digesting, for regenerating, for doing all those things. Body, you're safe. Body, I'm listening. What would you have me know? And that's a question I ask my body, my heart, and the natural world every day. And so that, what would you have me know? is an invitation for the pain to speak to me. And the pain said some funny things over the years. Have a glass of water. Stop taking yourself so seriously. Take the dog for a walk. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I think sometimes it's really clear when you need to be the grown-up and to soothe the pain and the younger parts of you, and sometimes you just need to open the lines of communication. This is, I'm so fascinated by this story and there's a lot in it that I can relate to personally. Um, so I'm, I'm very curious. It's so interesting that in the first scenario you described the pain manifested in your wrist as you were writing. I mean, it was so on the nose trying to stop you from writing. It's not always that on the nose. And you said you were creating a course called breaking the cycle of chronic pain. So presumably you had already had a whole journey of chronic pain and discovery and recovery. Was that journey about wrist pain or was it something completely different? So I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, which is the pain that sort of is mysterious and it moves around your body. Um, wrist pain was part of it, but I hadn't experienced that for about four or five years. Wow. And what was your journey like? I mean, I don't know how deeply you want to go into it, but how did you find your way out of that period of fibromyalgia those years before? It was probably a four or five year 
journey. It was, so it was nine years of random chronic pain and the emotional pain that went with that before a formal diagnosis. And when I was formally diagnosed, I was in a pretty bad state, um, desperate to see a pain specialist who was going to give me a pill. I was going to swallow the pill and go back to my normal, vibrant, younger self. And instead, what the doctor said to me is, there's no cure for this condition. There's no pill you can swallow. And all you can do is change your response to the pain. And I really wanted to punch him in the balls when he said that. I bet. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, but what I took from that is that I'm so pleased he told me there wasn't a pill I could swallow because that just crossed that off the list for me. That's not to say that for other people, that's not an avenue you can go down. I'm certainly pro anything that works for you. But the second thing he said, all you can do is change your response to the pain. And that was an invitation for me to get really curious about the possibility of being well experiencing well-being whilst also experiencing symptoms. And I had this moment probably six months after that where I was having a pain flare up across my shoulders, down my arms, in my wrists, across my back, and I was at home and I was just breathing into it. And I realised that actually in that moment I was happy, like I was okay even though I was in pain. And that was the first moment I had where I really understood what he meant about changing the way we respond to the pain. And that was just like a little flicker of light that I gravitated towards and knew I could make bigger and bolder and more beautiful as I explored the healing journey. Wow. And this story is amazing to me. Because as as listeners who've listened to my previous episodes might know, I have my own chronic pain recovery journey. The primary symptom for me was, or the, the most prominent symptom was migraine attacks. And my healing journey really began when I discovered this app called Curable. And it's got like tons of psycho ed and techniques and tools and just like this whole cornucopia of very specific um, actionable tools to help you recover from chronic pain. It sounds to me like your journey started with something much more vague, really a vague suggestion. And I'm wondering if you know, the discovery was all on your own. If you eventually found some resources that helped you to sort of figure out your own personal way through. I think having that experience of being well, even when in pain, then opened my mind and heart to all of the other possibilities Um, around thoughts impacting pain, those perfectionist habits, those people-pleasing habits, all sitting as a weight on our body, the emotional component of pain. So then I've explored all of those things like you, the curable app, um, spiritual healing, chanting, yoga, nature. But really, I have been guided on my own. And 
whilst you don't have regrets because you acknowledge that it all happened in perfect timing, I do think my healing could have been catapulted if I had have had a little bit more information at the start. The other thing that pain specialist said to me, which I often think about, is your nervous system has it wrong. And so you imagine then the shame, the guilt, the I'm broken stories. And I often think, actually, my nervous system didn't have it wrong. Your nervous system never has it wrong. It was alerting me to all sorts of social danger that I was holding, the social danger about having to be perfect and if you're not, it's a threat, having to put everybody else's needs above yours and if not, that's a threat. So I feel like I fumbled around for a little while thinking that my nervous system was broken and I guess had I known it wasn't broken earlier on, maybe my healing would have happened more quickly. I really, really relate to the way that you've described that. And, you know, you know, there's different ways of describing things that work for different people. And like you, I'm very much in favor of whatever works for you. Great. Run with it. Um, Personally, I'm not a huge fan of that language saying, you know, your, your nervous system has made an error in judgment. I really relate to the way that you described it. It's always sensing a danger. It just might not be the danger we initially think that it's responding to. And I think that's maybe a nice segue into asking you about, like, coming back to that experience of creating your course, writing your book, and specifically experiencing these symptom flare-ups long after you'd already gone through your recovery process that were coming up around your creation and self-expression. I'm wondering, what did you discover when you started to ask yourself, like, what are the fears that are coming up around this self-expression and creation process? Absolutely. So I think their fears They're stories that have come up, have origins in my childhood around you're not safe, also known as you're not lovable, unless you don't take up too much space, you don't rock the boat, you don't challenge people's perception of the world, you don't make people feel uncomfortable. So they're all the stories my nervous system has held on to. And so then when I go to write, or to create a meditation, which is about challenging the way people see the world, which is about me taking up space, which is about making people feel potentially uncomfortable. I've got this one energetic life force going, this is the real you, this is your deeper nature, express this. And then on the other hand, I've got this younger part of me going, but you're not safe you're not, you won't be lovable, people will judge you. And so this energetic pull is often what creates pain. Yeah, I completely relate to the way that you've described it. And I experience it so similarly. And what's really interesting, well, one of the many things that I think is very interesting is that the stories that come up, they might be different in their details, 
but they tend to be sort of predictable when we start hearing other people's stories that come up in their self-talk, you know, like challenging other people is not safe. Taking up space is not safe. And I'm curious how you conceptualize where these stories come from, you know, in in whatever kind of detail or little detail you want to speak about that in. Well, and it's very interesting because the broad audience I have, all ages, all life stages, all our egos are saying the same thing in different ways. You're not enough. So it's all the same message. You need to be a certain way, do a certain thing, say a certain thing in order to be enough. Um, So I think our egos are all saying the same things to us in just slightly different variations. Um, And what I found really helpful between writing my first book and my second book was really normalising that, connecting with other writers who didn't have chronic pain, but they'd gone through all the same things. They, They were also nervous about putting their work out, worried about being judged. Their perfectionist perfectionist tendencies came in at the last minute. They're controlling. Like chronic pain or no chronic pain, these are really, really natural, normal parts of our humanity. And I think sometimes we can get a little obsessed with our pain and think it's just us Whereas if you asked most creatives what their journey was, it would be peppered with these moments for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm appreciating that you're pointing that out, that this comes up, I think, a lot for folks who have chronic pain. It certainly comes up with clients of mine that, um, you know, people who are experiencing chronic pain will often ask, why me? I'm different from everyone else I know. No one, you know, few people or nobody else that I personally know is experiencing this and what's wrong with me. And something I'll often say to clients is everyone's experiencing something. It just, it might be a different flavor. You know, chronic pain is one particularly unpleasant ice cream flavor of this stress response, but others might be experiencing it manifested as a substance addiction or as uncontrolled aggressive outbursts or as anxiety or, you know, just any number of different expressions of stress response, essentially. And that's why I used my experience with chronic pain to write this book which spoke to a framework for living well with pain. And I said in that book, my my pain was physical and subsequent emotional, but for you, your pain could be divorce, financial insecurity, infidelity, sick kids, life not turning out how you thought it would. So pain is universal. And the good thing about physical pain is it so clear, there's no denying it. It's 
I think it catapults you into curiosity and action more so than some of those other subtle pains may. But the pain work, the framework for being with physical pain can help people experiencing all sorts of challenges. And that's why I sort of feel grateful for my experience. I, I again, I relate to that a lot. And not everyone with physical pain is going to feel grateful for their pain. And I'm certainly not a proponent of, you know, you you have to get to that place. But for me, I I do feel grateful in a sense, because certainly in my experience, I I had already been in therapy, you know, I was aware of emotional difficulties that I was dealing with, but it really wasn't until I experienced the chronic migraine attacks that I had the the motivation, the incentive to go deeper into my healing. And it it's Absolutely. such a litmus test. It's a it's a very clear litmus test for stress that can't be denied. Absolutely. Um, so I think you've gone into this a little bit already, but I wanted to ask you, what are some of the specific strategies or tools that you've discovered that help you to ease that fear and tension and the symptoms that can come up specifically around creation and self-expression? That's a great question. I think the first thing for me has been taking myself a little bit out of it. So when we create, we can take things very personally. Our ego can come in and go, this is my beautiful meditation. This is my incredible idea. This is my piece of artwork. And so if we can take a step back and actually see creativity as a universal energy, like love, like compassion, like gratitude, that actually exists within and around us. And so when we are creative, all we're doing really is allowing that creative life force to run through us. When we're creatively blocked, it's because we're energetically blocked. And so when we know, when we believe that our ideas aren't really our own, that they belong to something much bigger and more powerful than us, I feel like we can take potential criticism or fear around that less personally. I think that's a really huge piece. And then the second piece for me is this honouring the work that comes through me and then letting it go and trusting that it will land in the minds, bodies and hearts of those who really need it. So for me, as a international meditation teacher, at any time, in any day, someone is listening to one of my guided meditations. So if I'm somehow energetically still hooked into them, what will people think? Are they liking it? Do they like me? What's happening? That's exhausting on my nervous system. So same with if you write an online course or a book and you're like, well, it's in the bookshop. Anybody could pick it up at any moment. (laughs) It's exhausting for our nervous systems. So we need to be able to cut the cords, let it go, send it out into the world, our beautiful creative offerings, 
and really trust that it's then no longer ours. It has a life of its own. It will see and meet the people it needs to. So I feel like those two things create space between us and our and our work. It doesn't mean we forget about our work and we're not interested in people's feedback or their experience, but it just means our ego isn't quite so entangled. I love that so much. One of the more universal themes that I've seen in working with chronic pain, both my my own and clients and other people, this theme is that um, so often the the fears that are underlying symptoms have to do with fear of being socially excluded or socially rejected. It's that fear of not being included in the collective. Um, and there's often some kind of story going on in the background, like like some of the stories that you've spoken of that, if I express my individuality, my unique voice, then I'm going to be rejected by the group, by the collective. And so I really love what you said about thinking of your voice as being part of the collective, part of the greater whole, being a contributor to the greater whole by expressing your unique voice. Absolutely. And that distinction or that universal experience that you've noted around social fear, I think is very, very powerful. I see it too in my work. So our brain has those two arms of fear. One is around physical safety and the other is around social safety. So back in the day when we were hunter-gatherers and we were a small species, if there was a lion in the distance and we were on our own, well, we weren't safe. But if we were valued and honoured and um, needed by our group, then we were safe. So there's that merging of the social safety with the physical safety. And until people understand that the social safety is contributing to the physical pain, that's often the missing piece. And there's often shame around that. I remember when someone first introduced the idea that some of my symptoms could be related to me being a perfectionist. I was sort of quite horrified at that, that surely I can't be that much of a perfectionist or that much of a people pleaser that my body's getting stressed and producing pain. So there was also a lot of shame around that too. But when we can see it from more of a brain-based perspective, that social uh, fear is just as valid as physical fear, it allows us to explore our inner worlds without the judgment. Yeah, I, I relate. <laughs> I feel like I've said that many times, but, you know, I think that actually my relating to you relates to what I'm about to say, which is I, too, like like all of us, experience a lot of fear around expressing my voice and letting it be heard by other people. There's that fear of rejection. 
But there's also that beautiful opportunity that opens up. You know, if I wasn't sharing my voice on my Instagram and my podcast and, you know, whatever other places, I wouldn't have met you. You reached out to me because I was sharing my voice and I was, you know, drawn to what you were sharing because you were sharing your voice and we found commonality there. And I look at your content and I think, wow, Anna is so brave. She doesn't have any of the fears I've got about expressing myself. I think she's just owning it, talking about patriarchy and social conditioning and all of this. And I'm just like, woohoo, go Anna. So you've probably (laughs) also got people cheering you on. Yeah, it's it's so wild to hear how we're perceived by one another. And that's also something I really value about getting to do the work of being a therapist is you really get this insight into all these people who are each individually thinking, I'm the only one who has these social fears. And actually, I don't think I've met anyone who doesn't relate to that in some way. And sometimes it's really good when in a safe space, you're worst fears around being seen in that way come to life and they're actually not that bad. So I always, so my business is a social enterprise. So I redistribute 50% of my profits to charity and I'm working towards 35,000 people having access to clean drinking water by the end of next year. And I've been very shy around weaving that into my meditations to letting people know that when they subscribe to the app or buy my book, that they're providing a lifetime's access to drinking water to four people. And I've had this fear about being judged for weaving conversations of disadvantage into people's meditation practice. And then one day my fear came to life and someone wrote in my comments I'm just not interested in hearing about your socioeconomic political views whilst I meditate. Get (laughs) off the soapbox. (laughs) And I was like, there it is, my biggest fear around that, and it just wasn't that bad. (laughs) You know, this is becoming a theme in some of the podcast interviews that I have been doing. I, I asked another guest a few weeks ago, like, how do you, how do you move through that fear of social rejection? And she said, by letting it happen. And I think that's what you're talking about as well. The beast wasn't nearly so big and so scary. Yeah. Yeah. I've certainly, (laughs) certainly had some similar experiences that, that did feel really big at the time. And then they, they kind of start to lose their charge over time. And I think that what I've become more skillful in doing is recognizing when there's a young part of me speaking. When I feel disappointed about how my work was received, when there's fear around annoying people or people thinking I'm taking up too much space, I can often feel that that feels very young. And so that then allows me to be more gentle, more curious, and more soothing 
do you have experiences that feel young to you within your reflections around pain? Absolutely. I would say there are experiences when I'm feeling fearful and I notice, oh, I'm hearkening back to a younger part of my life or I'm simply experiencing certain social conditioning that's telling me that I don't have power or I'm not allowed to have power in this situation. Um, and I also just want to put it out there that, you know, there are situations when we might actually be in social danger and it's it's important to distinguish those and and not, you know, just tell ourselves, well, I'm always safe. I'm always safe. Like that's there are situations when we need to find allies or run for safety. I mean, those do exist. And it's very useful to notice the situations when, no, actually, I do have more power in this situation than my younger self or my social conditioning is leading me to believe. Mm. And so I think this idea of discernment is very interesting because when we start out on our chronic pain recovery, we can often hold on to these cold, hard facts. My nervous system's got it wrong. I'm safe all the time. I don't care what people think about me or whatever it is. But really, we are human. There's a lot of gray. We are nuanced. And so we need to exercise discernment around when the threat is real, when the threat feels young, when it's through social conditioning, when it's time to rest, when it's time to go out there, and we won't always get it right. And there are times where it's not safe to be judged by people. There's some pretty horrible stuff that goes on on social media. I wouldn't really like to be on the other side of some people's rage and anger. So I feel like there is some boundaries and some nuances that we need to sense into, but most of the time our body will get it right. So if we can open the lines of communication with our bodies or our hearts, it will know what to do in that moment. Yeah. I love that phrase, opening the lines of communication. And something that I am curious to ask you is as you have gone through this process that I'm sure is ongoing of opening those lines of communication between your mind and your body. How has your experience specifically around creation and self-expression shifted? I know you mentioned we had a little text chat before this conversation, and you mentioned that your experience around writing your second book was different than with the first book. Yeah, I think for a start, I'd really normalized the ups and downs of any creative endeavor. And I really leaned into this idea of impermanence so that things are actually always changing. We can say, oh, I experienced chronic pain for 10 years. I had migraines for 10 years. But the truth is, there were moments where they weren't strong. There was moments when they were. There was moments when they weren't there. So things, sensation and life is always changing. And so when we open up to a big creative project, 
We acknowledge that there will be periods in there when our fear response is engaged, but it won't be the whole time. So I got very curious about almost like documenting the process of writing a book and when the pain flares up. And so then when I wrote book two, I'm like, aha, here it is. Here it is. This is when you came up last time. At the very beginning, when you write the big, bold introduction and you're like, I am woman, hear me roar. This is it. It's there. And then I get into this beautiful creative process. It's just me, creativity, nature, life, no pain because it's just me, not even thinking about sharing it with anyone. (laughs) And then it gets to the last 10% and I'm like, oh, got to get all those typos out. Shit, people are actually going to read this book. Oh, got to get it perfect. (laughs) What will people think? Is my mum going to read it? (laughs) Is my auntie going to read it? (laughs) And then it's that end bit too. And so I spoke to my editor about that. And she's like, oh, yeah, I love writing, except for the first five and the last 5%. And she just really normalised it in a really healthy way. So I feel like it's that thing, isn't it? It's normalising it, hanging out with other people that can see and hear you and share their experiences too so you don't link it all to pain. And then it's acknowledging the ebb and flow, and that you're not going to be in pain the entire creative process. I love that you're normalizing that when we do something intrinsically brave, like sharing our voice, putting a creation out into the world, that is a brave thing to do because we do risk social judgment, right? That's a part of it. Um, And that when we do something brave, it's normal to experience a wave of fear. And if you happen to be a person who experiences fear in your physical sensations, which we really all do in some way, but for some of it's some of us it's more pronounced, that that's normal. I I think a lot of folks and I I will put myself into this category in the past and I I'm learning and growing through this. But I think a lot of folks will think, well, I, I had my recovery from chronic pain or or I've been on the recovery and I've been getting so much better. Why am I experiencing a flare up now? I must be failing. I must maybe my recovery wasn't real or I'm doing something wrong. But no, you know what what I've been learning and what I'm hearing from you, too, and what you've been learning is that it's perfectly normal to feel a wave of fear when you're expanding into something brave. And if you feel it in your body, that's perfectly normal too. Absolutely. And the difference between book one and book two for me is around that idea in Buddhism of first and second arrows. So the first arrow is the initial pain, suffering, The second arrow is all the extra stuff we just pile on. I thought I was healed, but I'm not. I'm a failure. How can I write a book about chronic pain healing if I'm still in pain? I feel guilty that I'm able to take this time off to write the book and I'm in pain. Whatever all those 
second arrows are. And so for me, in book two, I didn't throw nearly as many second arrows. And amazingly, the pain didn't last as long. Yeah. Oh, that's such a useful metaphor. The first and second arrows. I was thinking during that, while you were describing that, like, yeah, in in the very early stages of my recovery from migraine, the first shift and, and reduction in symptoms that I experienced was when I started to understand what the symptoms were and my fear of the symptoms decreased. So it's not that the headaches completely went away during that early phase, but the intensity came down dramatically because that heightened intensity of pain was very much about the thoughts that I had about the pain, the fear that I had of the pain, um, the the frustration with myself about the pain, all of that secondary stuff that you were speaking about. And when you explore the second arrows, the voice of the second arrow, it can give you a clue into how you're operating in life. So when I first started to pay attention to the thoughts I had when I had pain, I would immediately say, what did I do wrong? For, the, for this pain? did I Was I at the computer too long? Did I hold my hand in a funny way? Did I not go to bed early enough? So my second arrow had such a blaming tone to it and that gave me an indication that I was probably doing that in all areas of my life. Yeah. 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 I feel like for me the Maybe the the fear of the symptoms was the third arrow. And then the second arrow is all the self-criticism. I want to ask you, for a listener who might be hearing our conversation now and thinking "There's, there's a lot here that I feel relates to me and that I could use, but I'm very, very early on in my journey I am a bit overwhelmed. I'm just, yeah, I'd love to be at that place where I'm grateful for the symptoms, but I'm certainly not there. I'm very overwhelmed by the symptoms, not knowing where to start. What words of encouragement might you share with that person? I think that's a really beautiful question. And what I did want to want to really acknowledge is when you are in the thick of it. When your pain is at a eight, nine, or a 10, and you're doing all the things, you can't work out which bit of the puzzle works for which bit. So did did doing this reduce the pain or whatever? It's only when you're at about a three or a four that you can start making sense of cause and effect and personality and pain and fear and all of that sort of stuff. So my words of encouragement would be when you are at the three or four, be curious. Don't don't, don't ignore your pain then because when you're at a three or a four, that's when you'll get the insights. When you're at a nine or a 10, 
you sort of just in crisis mode. How can I just soothe myself? So when you're at a nine or a 10, doing all the things, going to the physio, getting a past life healing, going to yoga, seeing a counsellor. I mean, it's very hard to work out what works there. So stay curious at a three or a four. That would be my first bit of advice. And then the second would be to just reassure people that they are stronger than they think they are and that there's a deep, wise part of them that will become louder and louder the more they turn inwards and that softening at any point in your day, you can soften. You can soften your shoulders. You can soften your breath. You can put your hand on your heart and soften. You can soften the criticism. And just those tiny acts of softening, those micro moments of gentleness with yourself will add up. I love that phrase, micro moments of gentleness with yourself. Really beautiful and so useful to point out the, the differences in what's appropriate when pain is at an eight, nine, or 10, keep it simple, whatever is soothing. And when it's a bit lower, that's the time for curiosity, for exploration. Um, as we wind down this chat, I like to ask the question, you used this, the phrase soapbox earlier, and I'd like to ask you, what would you say is your soapbox message, a message that you're personally very passionate about spreading through the work that you do? It would have to be that small moments are enough. Often we chase the milestones, the moment we've been, the time we've been pain-free for a month, um, time when we can say we no longer have fibromyalgia, um, the time we can get back to exercise and our bodies how it used to be. And striving towards these milestones exacerbates our pain. So when we truly believe that small moments are enough, we don't have to accept our condition all day, every day, but a moment of acceptance, a moment when you're in pain and you're just like, okay, here I am, hand on my heart, few deep breaths. I'm not loving this, but I'm not trying to push it away. Just a moment of acceptance a moment of gratitude for the things our body can do. That doesn't mean we need to be grateful, toxic positivity, gratitude all day, every day, but we just find a slice of gratitude. And so that's the framework that I developed for living well with challenges. It's called 10 Pathways. And the pathways are things like compassion, gratitude, awareness, perspective, vitality, purpose. And so at any moment, you can have one of these moments, a moment of perspective where you look at the horizon line 
And you're like, okay, life's feeling pretty heavy, but I can scan my eye from left to right. I can feel a bit of perspective, a bit of ease, a moment of compassion. And the idea is that if we linger in these small moments, they land. They land within our minds, bodies, and hearts, and they soothe our nervous system. And it takes the pressure off. I mean, people think they need to accept their diagnosis before they'll heal. Well, no, you can just have moments of acceptance. I love that. It does take the pressure off. I felt kind of like chills and a softening as I was hearing you speak about these small moments. And I was also thinking, you know, I I like to think of this work as relationship therapy for the relationship between our mind and our body. And if we think of any relationship, a healthy relationship is not built on these dramatic, big, grand gestures. It's built on the consistent small moments. Oh, I love that because, yeah, a, a huge proposal underneath the Eiffel Tower but no genuine concern for how you are on a day-to-day basis will not sustain a relationship. And I think as well, when we are trying to open the lines of communication between our ego and our body, our mind and our heart, whatever, we need to see it as we would a friend. We need to say to our body, body, I'm listening. Like, I value you. I'm grateful for you before we ask it, what would you have me know? We can't just go from ignoring our bodies to like, yep, I want the gold nugget. Give me the, give me the solution. I've ignored you for years. Now give me the good stuff. <laughs> totally. We need, we need to go at it a little slower. It needs to feel safe before it will give us the good stuff. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, I've loved this conversation so much. I'm so happy to meet you. And um, for our listeners, where can people find you and what sorts of things can they reach out to you for? What are you offering these days? If people wanted to explore meditation in a really lay back, no pressure type of way, then um, my app called the Happy Habit app is a really beautiful place to go. There's five minute meditations, there's 10 minute, 20 minute, there's courses, 10 days, 30 day courses. It really is a beautiful place for people to develop a relationship with themselves without any pressure. And then if people wanted to read about my experience with chronic pain and this 10 Pathways framework that I've developed, then the book by the same name, 10 Pathways, is a beautiful thing to purchase. It's illustrated. It's got lots of lovely practices. And, um, yeah, otherwise just follow me doing some silly stuff on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, fantastic. And I'll put links to all of those things in the show notes so folks can easily find you and reach out. And Fleur, thank you so much for joining me. This was absolutely a delightful connection and so great to have this conversation with you. I feel really grateful to have had this chat with you, Anna. You're doing beautiful work out there in the community. I think 
what my healing would have looked like had I met someone like you much earlier on. So um, keep on being brave and bold. And um, and really, I look forward to seeing you grow and continue to do beautiful work in the community. So thank you for this moment. I really appreciate those words. Well, take care. Thanks, Anna. Hey, friends, it's Anna. Let me ask you something. If you're struggling with chronic symptoms, have you ever felt like pulling your hair out and screaming, why the bleep am I still in pain? That's definitely what I was asking earlier on in my recovery, so I can totally empathize and I would love to help you get some clarity. So I've created a quiz just for you that's called, why the bleep am I still in pain? And yes, you can take this quiz even if your symptoms are not pain specifically. Just head to my website, annaholtzman.com, and you'll see a big old button there that says take the quiz. So why don't you head there right now before you forget? And if you found this episode helpful, please go rate and review the podcast. That helps other people who are struggling with chronic symptoms too to find the podcast, and I would appreciate it enormously. Thank you for listening. And until next time, take good care.